Welcome back to A Dragon Tamer's Fable. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, please do. This is a full-length novel, and you're going to get lost if you don't start with the prologue. In Chapter 31, Part 1, Seven Nocte began their journey in Romofsi. In this episode, Chapter 31, Part 2, they adventure around the elvish country. Alright, let's dive in. In Rhydon, Fauna's studies were also going well. She had several tutors, who had mastered at least two subjects each. The days seemed longer without her fiancé present. Alice was now the one to greet her every morning, with an unfailing smile. The future queen befriended Princess Felicita quickly, finding her affable and kind once she was coaxed out of her shell. They debated the possible merit of hiring ladies-in-waiting, but both women were too independent. Whatever the other one needed assistance with, they would both be at the palace for the following two decades, for better or worse. The ladies humbly asked Maria for lessons in embroidery, who was both thrilled and embarrassed at the request, but did it gladly. Fauna sat at the pianoforte in the dining hall one rainy afternoon. She had received a letter from Sebastian earlier that day. His letters were coming weekly, filled with affection and tales from Romofsi. He and Nocte were set to go on a tour of the country soon. He promised to bring home pelts of the fantastic beasts he encountered. Fauna played a few notes and scribbled them down on a sheet on the music rack. She played the sequence she had written down so far. It was soft, yet dramatic. She attempted to add a few more notes, then rested her fingers on the keys and sighed. Frustrated? A voice behind her asked. Fauna jumped with surprise. Sorry, I didn't mean to startle you. Vivin touched her shoulder gently. I thought you heard me coming. That was fair, since footsteps echoed in the cavernous dining hall. Fauna tucked her auburn hair behind her ear. I was lost in thought. Composing? Fauna nodded. Was there something you needed? Vivin shook his head. I wanted to see if you're all right. Fauna ran her gaze over the stanzas she had just written. I'm fine, thank you. I just... I miss him. I know. Vivin had been keeping an eye on Fauna, just as Seb had asked. Lately, she seemed more quiet than usual. Fauna moved over on the bench and motioned for Vivin to sit. He gazed at her music. You should put a half-rest after the G on the second stanza. Fauna stared at him in disbelief and exclaimed, Vivin, you can play? The former mercenary chuckled. <laughs> I used to. I doubt even Alice knows that I can. Fauna gestured to the keys, and Vivin shook his head. It's been too long. That's nonsense. Once a musician, always a musician. The young woman declared. Vivin laughed. Fauna's defiance was something he was growing used to. Her opinions were usually bold, but thankfully they were well thought out. He placed his fingers on the keys and began to play a sweet little tune. It was relatively simple, however, it was beautiful. Who taught you to play? Fauna asked softly. A tutor I didn't know before she was hired, Vivin replied changing the tune to something more complex. My father insisted on me learning. 
It's wonderful how fathers do that, insist on their children doing things, Fauna mumbled. Vivin cast her a sidelong glance and replied, Forcing me to learn piano may have been something I loathed at the time, but I'm thankful for now. I think, Vivin continued carefully, knowing how much Fauna seemed to disdain her father. Fathers try to do what's best for their children, all things considered. Fauna smiled knowingly and placed her right hand on the keys. To Vivin's surprise, Fauna joined him on the higher octave, knowing the piece he was playing. I think it depends entirely on the father. They went quiet for a moment, then she said suddenly, You would have loved Seb's dad if you had met him. Everyone did. If Seb is an indicator of his father's personality, then I'm sure I would have, Vivin said gently. I only have faint memories of him, but... She stopped playing and turned to the older man. What exactly makes a person a dragon tamer? The question threw Vivin off so completely that he misplayed several notes. Fauna apologized and took up the song again and Vivin thought about her question. What makes you ask the question? Spiri, Seb's father, he was the kind of person I would think would be a tamer, but he wasn't. Well, the question was difficult for Vivin. He didn't want to say anything to offend Fauna or mar Mr. Aller's character. Tamers are born tamers. Most of us share traits like bravery, determination, athletics. But there's a defining attribute that dragons respond to. Something inside of tamers. Vivin struggled to explain, and Fauna began to look a bit lost. I honestly couldn't tell you what it is. So what you're saying is, Fauna perceived, that even though Spiri may have had all of the characteristics of a tamer, he didn't have that one quality that the dragons respect. Vivin hesitated. Basically. They both stopped playing the piano, and Vivin added, It may not have been his fate, if you believe in it. Fate? Fauna asked, and Vivin nodded. I'd rather not believe in fate. If I did, it would mean Spiri's fate was to be taken away from his family regardless of his actions in life. It was a glum thought that was promptly interrupted by Alice sneaking up on them and throwing her arms around Vivin's neck. Don't look so glum. The rain won't last forever, you two. She kissed Vivin's cheek and stepped back with a grin. Fauna didn't wait for Vivin to comment. Instead, she stood and changed the subject. Alice, I've been meaning to ask you something. Ask away. Would you be willing to teach me something? At this point, Vivin stood as well and cleared his throat. <clears throat> Anything she can teach you can't possibly be good. Alice smacked his arm and Fauna smiled. I was hoping, she said slowly, that you might be able to teach me swordsmanship. Vivin scoffed and Alice shoved him. Get out of here, Vivi. I'd love to teach you, Fauna. But it's rough, and I won't go easy on you. You should probably have me supervise, 
Vivin chirped, and Alice shoved him hard, forcing him away. He chuckled and left them in peace. I'm ready for the challenge. Fauna smiled as they laughed at Vivin for teasing Alice. Is there a reason? Alice asked quietly and in a serious tone. No one's given you a reason to need to defend yourself, right? Oh no, nothing like that, Fauna exclaimed, slightly embarrassed. Well, good, because I'd kick their ass. Fauna couldn't help smiling at her friend and guard. I just get the feeling that Seb is going to come home better than ever in every way, and I want to meet him the same way. Alice looked into Fauna's smoky gray eyes, which were filled with shining determination. Alice admired the young woman more than she knew. All right, let's get started then. The first two months of Sebastian's visit in the foreign country flew by. He had a schedule down. Every morning would start with a run or hunt with some of his guards and their dragons, then his studies until mid-afternoon. As soon as the harvest season began, Seb went against the king's wishes to work in the fields before dinner time. After all, he was a southern boy from Deep Creek. When his friends' families needed help in the fields, he was there. After dinner, which was often accompanied by a guest of Lord O'Rell's, Seb would head to the library. He had a system. He would read a book in Rhydonian or Vigosian in an evening. Maybe two. The five books he was allowed to rent out per week were all in Elvish, since they took him longer to read. As for his Elvish lessons, they were going well. Since he was forced to speak Elvish to everyone except for his human guards, he learned quickly. After some persuasion, the castle guards allowed him to train with them. The elves were far different opponents from his human companions. They were quick and agile, more so than Seb thought possible. Their dragons were the same, and he and Nocte took time to adjust to the nimble creatures. The dragons used their jaws more than Rhydonian dragons. Nocte was a fan of using his massive paws to swipe at his opponents. The thing that fascinated them both was the Venifi. The Manus blasted each other with magic orbs of red and green, with different spells exuding different colors. The guards refused to use the spells in training against the Great Tamer, but they did allow him to watch. The green spell, Oblis, was one of the weaker spells. Vedu, one of the red spells, could be lethal. The elves had wards to fend off the attacks, though he had seen particularly skilled guards, like Grimmon, deflect spells with their sabers. Sebastian prepared for a two-week journey across Romofsi. He hadn't strayed far from the capital since his arrival, and the king wished him to see more of the country before his return to Rydon. They were scheduled to visit the major towns and vineyards, from the southern border near Oster, to the eastern border near Ordinos, the dwarvish country, to the northern border near Vigos. Seb secretly wished that they would run into some sort of trouble on their journey, some sort of action. It wasn't that his stay had been dull, but he dearly missed his time with the Oren. Slaying bandits and taming dragons, it seemed to be a thing of the past. 
May I ask a question? Seb asked Lord Orel the night before their departure. The Elvish King had a private study that was a bit more grand than the one in Magni Tectus. It had a fireplace with a great hearth, plush chairs, his bureau, and bookcases. It was rather like the library in Magni Tectus. Seb and the elf sat across from each other, both reading old elven texts. Seb, of course, had to speak in Elvish. You may. Seb had been wondering about the painting hung above the fireplace since he first saw it. It was a portrait of a woman, a human, who looked rather like the princess. Seb was better acquainted with the king now, so he felt he could ask the question. Is that a portrait of your wife? He nodded to the painting. Yes, the elf replied shortly, without lifting his gaze from his book. Seb went quiet, realizing that it was, in fact, still a sensitive subject for him to approach. What would you like to know? The Elvish king asked after an awkward silence. Seb shrugged. The princess looks a lot like her. The king glanced up at the portrait. Yes, she does. She has her mother's eyes. A common eye color amongst Vigosians was purple, and violet was indicative of the royal bloodlines of the country. Lord Oro's wife had the same curly, raven-colored hair as the princess as well. The painter captured a kindness in her countenance that Seb found subtle, yet striking. Ask. The king interrupted Seb's thoughts. Sir? There is a question you would like to ask, is there not? One of his pointed ears twitched. Seb learned that their ears would do that if their emotions were heightened, whether it was amusement, annoyance, anger. It could be difficult to decipher. Sebastian shifted in his seat and asked quietly, Why... why a human? The elfish king closed his book with a sigh. People have been asking me that question for centuries. Why a human, when she will die millennia before you? Why a human, when it will corrupt the royal bloodlines completely? Why a human, when she knows nothing of our values or culture? The king drummed his fingers on his book, looking up at her portrait thoughtfully. When I first met her, she was a child. I was at an international meeting in her country. For someone so young, she had a wonderful sense of humor and maturity. I saw her several times over the following years, and spoke with her at her 18th birthday celebration. Not even two decades old, and she was renowned for her philanthropy. She spoke Elvish fluently, taught by Naida himself. She was an old soul, I believe humans call them. Evangelie and I formed an attachment, which I realize may sound strange, with nearly 1,500 years between us. His ear flicked again, and Seb listened to him attentively. Her father was truthfully quite happy with our marriage. It strengthened the commerce between our countries. The elf gazed into the fire, resting his head on his fist. 
We were happy enough together to be ignorant of the malicious things said behind our backs. Some of it really was quite horrible. That I seduced her, and would leave her as soon as her beauty faded. That I wouldn't father her children, because my only wish was to use her. He waved his hand at the old insults. Evie was a truly extraordinary woman, who was never afraid to speak her mind, or stand up for the disadvantaged. So when posed with the question, why a human, my response is, I waited dozens of lifetimes to find someone as incredible as her. If it meant that I only had a few decades with her, they were worth having, and suffering her loss later. The elvish king rubbed his brow, still gazing sidelong into the fire. Of course, that didn't happen. We were married for fourteen short years before. Seb knew the story. The king didn't have to continue. The queen died in childbirth with Felicita. The elf's ears twitched, and he clenched his fist suddenly and whispered, If only I had been a sorrow back then. He sighed again and asked, In your reading, did you happen to come across a specific ritual? One where longevity can be passed from an elf to another creature? Seb nodded. He had read it in one of the books on elvish lore. I offered it as a gift to her every year, and she never accepted. The irony is, it wouldn't have mattered. I would have been stripped of my immortality, and she would have passed on, regardless. But, Seb spoke finally, you've never once regretted marrying her, have you? The king flicked his deep blue eyes over at the young man, and I never will. He straightened in his seat and continued, My daughter is very much like her mother in looks and manner, though she is far more headstrong. Does she get that from you? Seb teased, and the king smirked. She might. Now, what I say to you next is from a father's heart. Well, she has set a terrible precedent for her actions in your country. She truly is a wonderful person. She is every bit as philanthropic as her mother, and all of her kindness and grace. I believe you, and I know I'll see it in the years to come. Seb replied warmly and opened his book again to signal the end of his inquiry. Their tour began with the vineyards in southern Ramofsi. The cropland spanned as far as the eye could see, even from a dragon's back. The vineyards were partitioned by handmade stone walls, providing a slight windbreak over the fields. Many elves were in the plantations, harvesting the grapes. Sebastian met them all cordially, with his newly refined social etiquette. His simple questions and kind phrases such as, You have a lovely vineyard, and Your wine should be imported to ride on, spoken in Romofsian, was met with delight by the common elves. They sampled wine at each vineyard, and it was paired with local cheeses and fruits exotic to the human. Everything was explained to him, from the soil composition, to the planting season, to the harvest. Even the types of grapes were mentioned. 
Seb was able to understand a fair bit of what was spoken, thankfully. It meant he had something to say at dinner when he and the king sat with the owners of the plantations. The border near Oster was perfect for wineries. The soil drained well, and the summers were dry and not too humid. As they continued their tour of the country, they made their way to the east. The forest became mixed wood, and Seb noticed more dragons and tamers about. The crops changed to grains and vegetables, and logging was another industry prominent on the far side of the country. They landed their dragons for a short break around midday. The sky was overcast, and the forest was still. Nocte growled seconds after landing. Seb dismounted and placed a hand on Nocte's scaled neck. It didn't take an elf's eyes and ears to perceive that something was wrong in the woods. Sebastian rested his hand on Dracocor's hilt. The guards were all on edge. Seb's chest panged suddenly. He winced, and Nocte growled, Seb, what is it? The young man shook his head dismissively, rubbing his chest. Ren ran over and placed a hand on his shoulder. Master Allo, are you alright? No, something's wrong, Seb grunted. Ren lifted his head to call for the king, but all of a sudden, Seb raced into the trees. Seb ignored the shouts behind him and told Nocte to follow him from above. Seb's entire body was buzzing, drawing him to some unknown force in the forest. He heard soft footsteps chasing after him, the elves. The great tamer didn't slow his pace. In an instant, the buzzing and discomfort in his chest was gone, and Seb was left running with no direction nothing to guide him. He continued to run. Up ahead, there was a break in the trees. Seb ran into the clearing, and his stomach dropped. He barely noticed Nocte land near him, or that the elves had caught up to him. Three people were desecrating a dragon's corpse in the clearing. They had bloodied bags next to the body, and were pulling the dragon's innards from its split-open belly. The great tamer felt sick at once, and Nocte roared with incredible force. The poachers jumped in surprise, only just noticing the small crowd watching them from across the clearing. They snatched up their bags and ran to their horses. Seb made a start for Nocte to chase them down, but something held him back. Ren had grabbed a hold of his arm. Master Allo. Let me go. I cannot. Was all Ren managed to get out before Seb elbowed him in the gut and shoved him off, dashing for his dragon. No one was able to stop him from mounting the black opal creature. Sebastian and Nocte flew overhead of the poachers as their horses tore through the forest. They had to wait until another clearing came. The foliage was too dense to swoop down and attack. As the duo saw a glade ahead of the horses, Nocte lowered himself to the trees. As soon as the riders were out of the forest, Seb leapt down from the saddle mid-flight and tackled a rider to the ground. The horse squealed out in terror as it smashed into the grass, and Seb stabbed the rider in the neck with a silver dagger. Nocte blocked off the riders from the other side of the clearing, setting the ground ablaze to prevent their escape. The rest was a blur for Seb, but quite clear to the guards and king who followed him. Seb took the bow and arrows from the dead rider on the ground and shot one of the remaining riders in the eye while running across the clearing to meet them. The last rider was thrown from his terrified horse 
and slammed into the ground. Seb unsheathed Dracocor. As the poacher scrambled to his feet in an attempt to escape the blade, Nocte stood behind him and snapped his jaws around the elf's body. As he sank to the ground, Seb swung Dracocor with both hands and sliced the poacher's head from his shoulders. The guards and Elvish King landed as Seb gathered the bloodied bags of dragon parts and tied them off to Nocte's saddle. Lord Orel strode to meet him with an anger unknown to the human. What in the name of the greats do you think you're doing? Seb glanced at the king, wiping smeared blood from his cheek. Avenging that dragon. Look at this mess! The elf exclaimed, irate. This is not how we handle poachers in this country. Seb ignored him and hauled the last bag over his shoulder, returning to Nocte. These poachers should have gone to trial to answer for their crimes. What sort of example does this set? Example? Seb growled, tying off the bag to his dragon. Is that all you care about? I've set an example. Anyone who touches my dragons will meet their end by my hand. The elvish king suppressed his rage. The young man before him was overwhelmed with emotion. He couldn't be reasoned with. What you did was wrong. I don't care if it was wrong. Seb mounted Nocte and clenched one of his bloodied fists. You didn't feel it dying, he said almost inaudibly. You didn't feel its pain, so you don't get to say anything. Nocte lifted off, and Keiru nudged his tamer from behind. A 17-year-old, telling an 1,800-year-old king, you don't get to say anything, baffled him beyond measure. We should follow him, old friend. They found Seb back in the initial clearing. He emptied the contents of the bags, one by one, and placed them back inside the hollowed dragon's stomach. He was up to his arms in crimson blood. Seb struggled to replace the items, and his dragon asked what was wrong. She's still warm. Seb choked. The nearby elves, with their heightened hearing, grimaced. Without the membranes to hold in the organs, most of the innards had to be piled outside of the carcass. It didn't take him long to finish. He knelt down next to the dragon's once proud head. Her eyes were disturbingly beautiful. The double eyelids glistened in the corners. The slitted pupils were dilated. Seb placed a hand on her head, leaving a bloody handprint. He backed away and nodded to Nocte, who was crouching beside her. Nocte parted his jaws and a white-hot flame erupted from his mouth, setting the deceased dragon alight. Seb stood and watched her burn. Ren approached the Great Tamer quietly and stood next to him. Are you hurt? Seb asked softly, knowing how hard he elbowed the elf. No. Sebastian's eyes remained fixed on the flaming carcass and the black smoke releasing into the sky. Don't ever try to hold me back again, Ren. It was an absolute order. The young elvish Manu bowed his head in response. He wouldn't argue with the man who had just savagely destroyed 
three dragon poachers. They sojourned at one of the king's houses that night. Sebastian spent half an hour scrubbing the blood from his arms, hands, and nails. When he was clean, he left the washroom in search of Lord Orel. He quietly drew near to the elvish king, who was sipping brandy and writing out a letter at a bureau. I'll understand, Seb spoke in elvish, if you would like me to return to ride on. The king replaced his quill in its choir. I am currently writing to my officials about the incident. You will not be charged with any crimes, though I will ask you to refrain from such impulses again while you are visiting my country. Seb dipped his head respectfully. I am... I'm not going to apologize for killing them. I will apologize for offending you and the trouble it's caused you. You couldn't help yourself, could you? The king murmured, turning in his seat. Seb's jaw tensed, unsure of what the elf meant. It was an instant response. Seb inclined his head slightly. When I'm in certain situations, it's like another part of me takes over. Thankfully, I agree with what that side does. Seb looked away and balled his fists. If I was in the same situation again, I'd repeat it. Lord Orel gave him a mild look. Do you not trust our justice system? It's not that, it's just black and white, Seb said passionately. I saw them desecrating the corpse. It doesn't even matter if they killed her or not. What they did is unforgivable, and they deserved what they got. It is not up to you to decide that. We have laws and rules for a reason. If it was an elf's or a human's corpse, would you say the same thing? Seb challenged. The charge for desecration of bodies in our countries is death, is it not? Hmm, the king murmured. He felt the young man's resolution quite clearly and knew there was no use arguing with him. Go rest. Master Elor, we have many more people for you to meet in the days to come. Seb was thrown off by the abrupt end to their conversation, but he turned to leave anyway. And remember, you will be a regent king in less than a year's time. Everyone will look to you for wisdom and guidance. Their journey across the eastern side of Ramofsi was quiet after that. The guards and their dragons had a new respect, and increased watchfulness, of their charge. They spent several nights camping instead of staying in Vilia's, much to Seb and Nocte's approval. The dragons within their crew spent the evenings communicating with the Great Tamer, curled up around him. Seb was in his element. He laid back against Nocte's flank and gladly spoke with them for hours. It was a relief to his guards. They didn't have to try to keep up with him, running or hunting. They went into the villas and vineyards in the north, near Vigos, where Princess Felicita's mother hailed from. 
the mountains were far more grand than the rolling ones in the country's middle. In the winter, the great tamer and his dragon were told, the caps were covered in snow. Since Romofsi didn't experience a true winter, it was a sight to behold. It was midsummer for Seb's visit, and the countryside was painted vibrant shades of green. The land was rich and fertile, and peaceful as the king could possibly wish. Their stop in the Villa of Tindor was particularly pleasant. Lord Orel left the Great Tamer with Ren for a tour of the prosperous town, since he had a short meeting with one of the villagers. As he rejoined them in the marketplace, he saw Seb chatting with someone, and smiling more genuinely than ever before in the elvish country. The formidable Great Tamer was once again his usual self, amiable and easygoing. The king saw why the young man was so happy. A little boy popped up over his shoulder. Seb laughed and said something to the elvish child, and Lord Orel walked over. Hello, sir, the little boy greeted first, with his arms about Seb's neck. Hello, Draven. How are you? The king greeted warmly. I am well. I was telling the great Tamer that I was the only one born in my year. He didn't believe me. Seb chuckled, and Lord Oro politely inclined his head to Draven's father, who was the one Seb was speaking with. What else did you tell him? The doting king asked the child. I told him how all the firstborn sons have a Y in their name, and I told him all about Tindor's exports. I learned about them in class today. Sebastian listened happily to everything the little boy repeated, holding him on his back as if he weighed a feather. How old are you, Draven? Seb asked curiously. I'm eight. Eight? I could have sworn you were ten at least. I'm not ready to be ten yet. I enjoy being eight. The group laughed, and Seb set Draven down, and he ran over to his father. He regarded Lord Orel curiously. Where is Kyle? He's always with you. He is in Rydon, looking after your princess. The elvish king replied gently. Oh, I miss them. They haven't been to visit me in forever. Draven pouted. His father placed a hand on his head. One day, you'll learn that the world doesn't revolve around you, little one. As mature as Draven was for an eight-year-old, something caught his eye and he darted away, leaving his father to sigh. He bowed his head to Seb and the king respectfully and hurried after the young elf. He was the cutest kid I've ever seen, Seb admitted with a grin. Those ears! They watched Draven point out something to his father on a merchant stand. The tips of his ears were nearly level with the top of his head. He'll grow into them eventually. Lord Orel noted the tenderness in Seb's gaze towards the child. Just as quickly as he noticed it, it vanished when someone approached the young man interrupting his thoughts as they introduced themselves. Seb smiled and used his newly obtained elvish to thank the elf for saying hello and wished the elf good day. Seb walked with Lord Orel through Tindor, feeling the gaze of the townspeople. Was Draven serious about being the only child born in his year? Yes. Seb waited for further explanation, but it didn't come. Is that... Unusual? No, the king replied simply, again. 
The elf paused. I understand it is unusual for humans. Seb hesitated. Well, doesn't he get lonely? When I was his age, my friends were everything. Who says he doesn't have friends? The elf raised his eyebrows in amusement. Sebastian went silent, and Lord Orel explained. More often than not, there is only one child born in this country in a year. When the population's average lifespan is well over 2,000 years, the need to replenish the population is fairly low. Elvish relationships are far different and far more complicated than human ones, in truth. Seb smiled wryly. You've been alive longer than me, so I guess you'd know. The king grinned. Draven will be alright, Master Alor, to return to the original subject. His parents are a respectable couple. They have been married for over 200 years. I have the ability, as an elvish king, to familiarize myself with my subjects, and watch them grow as people. The children in this country are beloved by everyone, and in part raised by the community that they are in. Seb considered what the king said. While he thought it was lovely that the elvish children could have an entire village to take care of them, he still felt the essence of childhood probably lacked. Running, playing, and getting up to no good with the other boys when he was younger, he felt, was essential for children to enjoy being children. The party enjoyed two more nights under the stars before their return to Low Mountain. Seb slept outside next to Nocte, while the king and guards used tents. A single guard was on duty to watch over the king and future regent. She stood near Lord Oril's tent, casting a glance at Seb and Nocte every so often. In the wee hours of the morning, Seb was startled awake by Nocte leaping to his paws and growling. The young man scrambled to his feet in a daze, searching for Dracocor, which had been right next to him when he fell asleep. Gone! The sacred sword was gone! The guard was at his side in an instant, and the other guards rushed out of their tents, the king included. Seb and Nocte were already on the hunt. The dragon took to the skies and Seb crashed through the trees, straining to see in the dull moonlight. Something caught his eye up ahead. Hey! Seb hollered, leaping over a fallen tree. He stopped suddenly and didn't know whether to be more surprised that Ren had been following him the entire time and knocked into him, or the sight he saw in front of him. Little creatures were trying to fly away with his sword. There must have been six or seven of them at least. Their wings shimmered in the moonlight, and Ren sighed, unamused. Pixies. He drew his saber from his scabbard, which he had been holding onto since running from the camp. Several other guards hurried around Seb, all with their weapons drawn. They saw the little creatures and grumbled, sheathing their sabers. Ren strode over to the floating sword and threatened the pixies with strong language, holding his saber in front of him. The pixies zoomed away, dropping Dracocor. Ren sheathed his weapon and let Seb pick up the legendary sword himself. As they returned to the camp, Seb asked, Why did they steal it? How could they even pick it up? They were tiny. Ren covered his mouth to yawn. Pixies are a bit of a pest, really. They're compulsive little thieves. Anything of value, whether the gold in your pocket, or a prize cloak, or weapon. They can lift over a hundred times their weight, 
enchanted or not, they can steal it. The fairies were much more civil. I wouldn't compare the two if I were you. Fae are quite proud. Just because they are both tiny and have wings, doesn't mean they're the same. Ren smiled softly. Elvish children often told, a fairy is fair, a pixie is tricksy. Sebastian stopped Ren before they re-entered the clearing, where their camp was. Ren, I'm sorry about the way I treated you the other day, when we were dealing with those poachers. There is no need to apologize. Ren kept his gaze lower than Seb's. There is. The young man clasped his shoulder. I know you were trying to do your job. You're sure I didn't hurt you? Seb referred to the hard elbow he gave him to the stomach. Ren inclined his head. I should have known better than to stand between a great tamer and his business. Seb chuckled, and they continued into the camp. Now you see what my head guard has to deal with back home. Lord Oril awaited them, standing next to Nocte. The black opal dragon sat with his tail draped over his paws. Is everything alright? Just pixies, apparently. Seb raised his sword to indicate what was stolen. That is the original, correct? The king stood with his arms across his chest. Without layers of robes on, it was easy to see that the elf was far more sturdy than Seb gave him credit for. Original? Seb halted in a moment of panic and unsheathed the weapon. The moonlight caught the edge of the blade, and it glinted. Pixies can conjure an imitation, and send a decoy party to trick their victim. They are more intelligent than they look. The elf motioned to the blade, and Seb handed it to him hesitantly. I'm sure you already know this, but there's an enchantment on it. That will harm anyone other than a great tamer. Lord Oril finished Seb's sentence. He twirled the blade and examined it, looking down from the hilt to the tip of the blade. Or the person who forged it. Sebastian blinked. You? My brother and I, yes. Well over a millennia ago, a great tamer named Rovirin required an especially powerful blade to oppose the men. He returned the sword to Seb. Did none of your books mention its creator? Seb shook his head. As a blacksmith, he was in awe. Dracocor was a fantastic weapon. Why didn't you tell me sooner? Seb gazed at his greatsword in a different light. I prefer that that knowledge is classified, in truth. People would ask me to forge another, and that weapon is far more powerful than the average person requires. Anyway, we have an early start tomorrow, Seb. The king abruptly disappeared into his tent, and the young man stood still for a moment. It was the first time Lord Oril had called him anything other than Master Alor. Surely it was a slip of the tongue. But still. The final villas they visited were uncomfortable for Sebastian. It was why the king had planned the route the way he did. The county of Timor was similar to the rest of Romofsi. Peaceful, quaint, though the elves living there were different. Seb was met by joyous elves who he quickly realized worshipped him. Being venerated and asked for blessings was more than overwhelming to the young man. Nocte stayed close to him, walking down the wide streets with his tamer. 
Lord Oril himself was constantly at the Great Tamer's side, managing his people to the best of his abilities. Seb remained calm, offering to shake hands, but he wouldn't bless the elves. Everything in the Vilia stopped as they went through. No one would risk missing a visit from the Great Tamer. They offered gold and jewels for Nocte, which Seb outright refused, as politely as he could. Nocte began to feel claustrophobic. He wasn't bothered by the presence of people typically, but these ones tried to touch him without anyone else noticing. The black dragon began to growl, and Sebastian silenced him quickly. Seb continued shaking hands and smiling, and Nocte started fuming black smoke from his nostrils. Nocte, what's wrong with you? Seb used Vox Draco. There's too many people. I need to leave, his dragon replied in annoyance. Don't leave me here, Seb protested. Nocte snorted and smoke billowed from his nostrils and mouth. The cloud rose up and the elves backed off instantly and Seb was engulfed by the cloud. You're doing so good, Nocte. Just hold on a little longer for me, please. Seb took Nocte's sculpted face in his hands and pressed his muzzle against his chest. The smoke began to clear and Nocte huffed relaxing his muscles a little. I need your strength right now. We've never met people quite like this. Do you ever wish we never left the Praestrio Valley? Seb stared into Nocte's emerald eyes in surprise. The uncertainty of the question left Seb feeling disgruntled. The smoke had cleared, and the elves were watching the Great Tamer in adoration. He calmed the beast. Seb stepped back, and put his hands into the pockets he had sewn into his tunic. He turned to Lord Oril. Shall we continue? Thanks for listening to Chapter 31, Part 2 of A Dragon Tamer's Fable, and thank you for supporting the podcast so far. I hope you're enjoying it. If you are, please share, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're able to give a DTF an extra hand, please check out the merch and support tabs on the website. To stay up to date on content, check out a DTF podcast on Instagram or Facebook. As always, feel free to email dragontamerpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts, so don't be shy. Until next time, keep slaying anything but dragons. <laughs>